let me get some things situated here just a bit, and we'll be in uh, we'll be in great shape. So I hope we're doing well this morning. If you were planning on Eric and Moses, just come back next week, and uh, you'll have that. Uh, he is going to return, and we'll finish up our series uh, the next two weeks on Moses. But today, we're going to be looking at something a little bit different. Um, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians and what Paul says uh, to them about growth and um, what he says to them about how should we then live. Now, that is one of those uh, titles. Long ago, I, I uh, read a book like years ago, and it was called How Should We Then Live? It had nothing to do with Ephesians. It was talking about worldviews, and it was saying in light of these worldviews and stuff, then what should be our reply? But that's what Paul talks to us about in Ephesians. He talks about, you know, in light of what God has done, what should we do? How should we then live as a result of what God's done? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we get to Ephesians, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to start with a word that Paul had for one of his other uh, congregations there that he was speaking to. He said this in Galatians 1, 3 through 4. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from. And when you look right there, I remember the first time I read this and I was reading along. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been reading? And as you're reading, you all of a sudden, you, you begin to fill in what they're going to say. You know, I, I, I know several times my wife will start saying something and I'll think, I know where this is headed. And, you know, she'll say something and I'll kind of fill in in my mind. Or you have some friend you talk with and they start to say something. And in your mind, you kind of fill in what they're going to say. Well, when I first looked at this, I was reading along and I thought that he's going to save us from. And my first result was, you know, that he might rescue us from, and I thought, hell. Not what he says. Now, he does rescue us from hell. That is true. But that's not what he says. Here's what he says. That he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That he might rescue us from this present evil age. See, a lot of times we have an idea, we have kind of a concept that when we come to Christ, what, it, what that is, is that's something that really kicks in once you die. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, well, I need this because, you know, one of these days. No. What he wants us to understand is that the life God calls you to in following him is a life that kicks in right now. And it's a life that you can begin to experience right now as you begin to put into practice the things God says in really following him and really practicing the way of following Jesus. So. Eric mentioned a couple of weeks ago that God is the one who is behind all of reality, and that's true. So if you want to know how to live and to thrive in the kingdom and in the evil age in which we find ourselves living today, he says if you want to find out how to live in that, then what you have to do is you have to go to God's word and see what he says and begin to do that. So Paul's message that's what his message is to the Ephesians. As he begins to talk with them is that, guys, you need to pay attention to some things that if you do, it will really allow you to live the life God wants you to live. So Ephesus, let me give you a little bit of background. Ephesus was like the epicenter of all the different world religions, the, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, all of these different things. I mean, if there was ever a congregation 
that the culture around them was headed in the very opposite direction of the gospel, it would have been Ephesus. And yet, what Paul does is Paul comes in and says, guys, in the midst of this, this is how you can begin to live differently. This is how you can begin to live in following Jesus. Now, he'd been there several years before. He'd spent about two years there, and he'd seen some people come to really know Christ and begin to follow him. And so Paul writes them this letter a little few years later and tells them, this is how you live in an environment that will really bring glory to God and joy to you. So the letter's divided into two sections, okay? Chapters 1 through 3, you'll see here on, on the board here in just a second, it'll come up. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about the story of the gospel and its impact on believers and Paul's prayers for them that they would grasp the significance of the truth he's telling them and they would begin to live that out. And then chapters 4 through 6 speak about how do you live out the difference of Christ in your lives in the various relationships that he's called us to. Now, Ephesians 4.1, that's the second half. Ephesians 4 through 6 begins the second half. And Ephesians 4.1 is a very pivotal verse. This is kind of the hinge verse of the whole book of Ephesians. And Paul says this, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The word walk here, it, it's a word, it means your course of life. In other words, everything you're about. You know, he says, make the course of your life like this. And then the, the word calling there, it's, it's a principle that is supposed to guide your whole life. A principle that's to guide your whole life. So what Paul is saying is you're beginning a new manner of life. What you need to do is you need to learn a whole new way of living that you can walk worthy of the calling that which God's called you to. Now, many of you have probably worked for different companies. You know, if I had asked for a show of hands, I'm sure we'd see, you know, multiple hands. How do you think it would work if you went into your new company and you said, I'm going to do everything here like we used to do it over there? Yeah, not well. You know, and before long, they'd invite you to go back to work for that other company. You know, they'd say, no, no, your, your, your services are no longer needed. Thank you. What you begin to find is, you know, when you go into a new arena, you have to learn how to live there. And that's what Paul's saying. You have left the domain of darkness. You've now stepped into the kingdom of God's son. You need to learn how to live here within the kingdom. And so that's what he wants them to understand. Paul breaks that down practically, how to live out worthy walking in four different kinds of relationships. He talks about with community of believers, this is how you are to live that out. With society, this is how you're to live it out. Then within your family, this is how you're to live it out. And finally, he says, as you're, as you're dealing with the forces of darkness, this is how you live it out. Now, honestly, I wish we had time to go through each and every one of those, and maybe another day we will. But today, what I want us to do, I want us to spend our time on the second one. How do you live it out in society? I mean, you know, every single day you guys are doing things like you're going to work, you're going shopping, you're, you're interacting with your neighbors, you're doing all sorts of things. Paul says, this is how you live it out in society. This is what you do. So that, and, and what Paul understood is the reputation of the gospel was really going to be contingent upon how we behave our lives, how we live out our lives. And so one of the things you want to do is you want to figure out, okay, 
if I'm going to walk worthy of God in this way, how do I live out my life in a society that's headed a very different way than, than, than we are? So there's, there's going to be three things. Let me just tell you this as we get started. There's basically three points. We're going to cover the first two quickly, and then we're going to get to the third, which I think is going to be more applicable to us, okay? So the, the three points are this that he talks about. First one right here, he talks about you need to pay attention to your personal walk. You need to remember the big picture, and you need to walk in a wise way. So the very first one, he says, you need to pay attention to your personal walk. Now, when Paul's talking about this, he says, the way you do that, there are things you need to put off and things you need to put on. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever moved to a new area, maybe you were living in a hot area and you moved to the beach. Or, you know, maybe you were living over here and you were in shape and you moved over here and you weren't. But you had to get new clothes a lot of times. And what you find is this. When you get these new clothes, you know, you, you put off the old, you put on the new. That's the whole picture that Paul begins to talk about with us here. He said, the way you were living your life, those were like things that you were wearing. He says, you put those off, you put these new things on. So he begins to go through the list. He says things like, put off lying, put on truth. And we look more like, but lying can be very helpful. I mean, especially if people ask you things you don't want to answer correctly. You know, he says, no, no, no. That's not how we live in the kingdom. Put off lying, put on truth. He says, put off stealing, put on generosity, put off unwholesome speech, put on edifying conversation, put off revenge, put on forgiveness. And you begin to see, Paul says, there are native things that, you know, just make sense to us. Things that we look at and we think, well, yeah, that's how you do that. You just do that because it makes sense. He says, no, that is not how we do life here in the way of Jesus. This is how we do life in the way of Jesus. But then in the midst of this, as Paul's giving them this list of put these things off, put these things on, all of a sudden he stops and it's like he reminds them of the big picture, probably because as they were looking at these things, they were going, good night. How, how do you remember all that? How, how do you begin to do it? And Paul says, Paul says, wait a minute. And then in Ephesians 5, 1, he says this, the big picture. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. We are to walk in love. He says, you know, you are to walk in love. The tr one translation says, live a life of love. He says, you're putting off these things, you're putting on these things, but you're doing that in order to help you live a life of love. You know, if you were, um, if you were lying to someone, stealing from them, speaking to them in unwholesome talk, and, you know, being very unforgiving, very revengeful, how do you think that life of love would go? Yeah, probably not too good. And what Paul is saying here, he reminds us, the reason we're doing these things is so that you can put on a life of love. And even more importantly, the way you can remember, he says, we're doing it to imitate our father, to imitate our heavenly father. The word he uses there in the Greek is memete, and it's a word that we get mimic from. He says, we are to mimic our father. We're to become imitators of him. Now, this imitation is not our means of acceptance. It's the result of our acceptance. We don't do it so that God will accept us. We do it because he already has. 
we begin to mimic him. So he says he basically wants us to mimic him in two areas. One is love. One is purity. So first he says, love like your father. And you think, well, how did, how did God love? I mean, how did he do that? When you look at the life of Jesus, how did he love? Very simply, he laid down his life for others. He laid down his life for others. In Matthew 27, 42, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's these people that come by and they're mocking him and they're saying different things. And this one looks and says, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And really what they did was they hit upon a really true spiritual principle. If you live your life for yourself, you can't live your life for others. You have to choose to live your life for others. The the way we choose to go about life is my life for yours. My life for yours. And when we live that out, what we find is that we can begin to really love people. We can really begin to see God using us and working through our lives in the lives of other people. So you learn to love like your father. But he also says you not only want to live like him, but, you know, you, you probably won't be motivated to do that sometimes. In fact, sometimes you'll look and you'll think, I, I just don't know about this. And to that, he says this. In 2 Corinthians, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, then we're all dead. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And what Paul's saying is the reason that we choose to love others is because of the love that we've experienced through Christ. He says, you know what? When he died, we all died. And we should live our lives on behalf of others, not on just behalf of us. But then secondly, he returns us. He says, don't just live a life where you love like him. Live a life where you really uh, live like him as well. You really... uh, you really live in a, in a sense of, of purity. And he talks about that. That's what he steps back into the put off and put on. He says, put off self-gratification, put on purity. And he talks about that in two ways. He says, in your speech and in your actions, put these things off, put these things on. So as Paul's beginning to wrap that up and he's talking to them, okay, you know, you've put off, you've put on, you're remembering the big picture of imitating your father and living a life of love. He says, Then he gets to the point that I want us to focus on for today. And he says this, walk in a wise way. Walk in a wise way. And he says this beginning in verse 15. He says, so then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. So he says, walk as wise, not as fools. Now, if you're going to walk as wise, not as fools, he gives us three areas that you can do that in. And if you're having trouble remembering those in the days ahead, you'll notice at the first, if you look at the first initial of each one, it's just R-U-B, rub. And you remember, where there's a certain rub in your life when you're relating to society, live these things out in a wise way, it'll be very different. So I want us to look at these. The first he talks about is this. He says, redeeming the time. Well, we're almost there. There we are, redeeming the time. Then he says, understanding the will of God and being filled with the Spirit. Redeeming the time, 
understanding the will of God and being filled with the Spirit. So we'll start with those one by one. He says, redeeming the time. In other words, making the most of your time. Make the most of your time. Living wisely is a great degree, a matter of how we spend our time, what we do there. But to correctly understand that, we really need to understand some of the words Paul was using. When he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time. That word right there, making the most of your time, another translation would say redeeming, redeeming the time. It's a word, it, it really means to buy up. It's like, you know, you found something that is at a great price and you buy it all up. For instance, let me give you an example. If you were to have decided in 1986, I hear this company is starting up, it's called Microsoft. I'm going to take $1,000 and invest in Microsoft. And that's all you did. You took $1,000, invested in Microsoft in 1986, never put another dime in. You thought, I hope that works out. I hope that's a good investment. It seems like one. It's a cool name. And they have that little fun logo. So I'm going to go with Microsoft. Yeah. And you put one thing. You know how much that would be worth today? $3.4 million. And that doesn't even count, you know, the dividends they began to pay, pay out, uh, you know, like in 2004, which would have added up to about $350,000 by now, would average about $36,000 a year. That doesn't even count that. All of that from a $1,000 investment. What Paul is wanting us to see is this. He says, because of the times in which we live, values are out of kilter. And what people think is valuable right now isn't valuable. And what people don't see as valuable is extremely valuable. He says, so here's what you do. Buy up the opportunities. Buy them up. Redeem the time. Now, it's an interesting word that he uses for time there as well. There's two different Greek words for time. One is chronos and one is kairos. The word chronos, it's just like, you know, time, like we would think about it normally, like systematic time, like chronological time, like it was eight o'clock and it's nine o'clock. You know, we think like that. That's not the term he uses here. The term he uses for time here is the word kairos. And it means actually an opportune time to take advantage of. An opportune time to take advantage of. And so what he's saying is, there are opportunities that avail themselves right here. You need to take advantage of them. Now, the people of Ephesus, they had some, they had some uh, insight that you probably don't have as you think about that. Because they were so familiar with these Roman gods, because they were so familiar with these Greek gods, they looked at something like he said, and whenever he said, you know, Kairos, immediately the picture that came to their mind was this Greek God, Kairos. And when you see this, a picture of this Greek God, what you see is this. He's this guy and he's always running. He's always going somewhere. He's, he's kind of moving. But he has this hair that flows out right in the front of his head, all of his hair. And when you look behind, he's totally bald in back. And you think, what is that about? What he's saying is this. When opportunity is coming towards you, you better grasp it. Because once it passes, there's nothing there. You can't get it later on. You have to get it right now. And that's the thing he's wanting us to understand in this is, you know, take advantage of the opportunities. Buy up the opportunities because the days are evil. Now, here's the two problems that we have. We have a twofold problem. Most believers do not tend to realize that they live in evil days. 
That's the first problem. Most, most believers don't realize they live in evil days. Secondly, they don't understand the opportunities that those evil days present. So the first part, you know, we need to have the right perspective on evil days. We need to have the right perspective on the time in which we live. The word evil that's used there, it's, it's a term that means it started off good, but then became bad. It started off good and then became bad. Now, we have this thing that we do uh, with a ministry that I served with called Christian Challenge that we would do these projects each summer. We did these down in Costa Mesa for several years down there. We would go down to this one university and we would stay down there for the summer with all this crew. While we were down there, uh, I came down one year to just kind of wrap things up at the end and clean up. And in this guy's apartment, I walked into there and um, I opened up the refrigerator. And what I found was just what he's talking about here. Things that used to be good that were no longer good. And then I opened up a few cabinets and they were full of things that used to be good and were no longer good. And that's what the picture he's wanting us to see here. He says, you know what? You need to realize we live in these evil days and uh, they started off one way, but they ended up another. Now, what makes them evil days? Well, one is the fall. We live in a we live in a broken world. I mean, when we decided we were going to do what we wanted instead of what God wanted, there was a problem. It was called the fall. And it created, it created a, a breaking in every facet of life. The second thing is the enemy. He is seeking to devour us. So as you go through life, sometimes when you think, life seems hard, it is. You know, cheer up, it gets worse. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, that's how it is. I mean, it's going to be hard. And the reason it is, is because you also have an enemy that is opposing you all the time. It's also evil because of values. The values of society today tend to be antithetical to God's. What God says is valuable, what God really cares about, people today don't care that much about. So that's another problem. The, the last one is idols. There are so many idols that are around today. And idols, idols, now we think of idols sometimes. We think of something you set up on your dresser and you bow down to it or something. That's, that can be. I mean, we do that sometimes. We usually don't set it up on the dresser. Well, sometimes we do. Usually what we do is we have an attachment on the wall and it'll bring it out and let it turn every which direction so we can watch it. You know, but we don't, you know, they promise big, they deliver small. That's what idols are all about. They promise they're going to do all of this stuff for you and not so much. And so evil days in which we live. Now, most of the time, Christians as well as non-Christians, we walk around feeling like, I think the days are basically kind of good. And one of the ways you begin to notice that is the way it, it works its ways out in people's perspective. When you realize the days are evil, when you realize the days aren't good, if you get that in your mind, it will make a huge, huge difference. For instance, how many of you have been around anybody? I mean, not this would this wouldn't a, a, wouldn't be you that would do this, but you've been around other people that when they come in, they spend so much time grumbling and complaining because things did not go well that day. Anybody ever noticed anybody like that? Where they come in, they're, oh, you're not going to believe traffic. And you're going, really? Where only 18 million people live? No, tell me about it. Uh, and they're like, yeah. 
And not only that, I had to wait in line. No, not a line. Yeah. And they tell you about all these problems and how bad it was. And you look at this, and before long you think, why is it this keeps catching them by surprise? You know why? Very simple. They don't recognize the days are evil. Now, when you recognize the days are evil, let me show you a little thing here that will help you. When you recognize the days are evil, then when things are bad, you know, you aren't surprised. I mean, if you ever get through a line and there's not much of a line, you're like, whoa, this is amazing. Because we live in a day when things are evil. And they're good night. This was great. When things are not all bad, you're rather encouraged. I mean, you come home and you're like, good night, I'm tickled spitless. I mean, I got home in like much less time than I was planning. Now, when things are good, you are really thankful. Why? Because what you'd anticipated was we live in evil days. We live in bad times. So therefore, if things are good, thank you, God. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for allowing me to experience a little bit of good in the midst of a world that's really headed the wrong direction. Now, if you don't have that mindset, if you don't have that mindset, then when things are good, you aren't that thankful. Because you know what? That's what I expected. Good days. And when they're not, you know, you're like, wow. Now, if things are not all good, you're a little frustrated. If things are bad, you are really frustrated. In fact, there is no gratefulness, no thankfulness. It's not even a topic. And the reason it's not is because what you were expecting was everything should go well. And what Paul says is as you're relating to society, as you're walking about in the midst of all these people who are complaining all the time because because they're expecting good days, he says, no, no, recognize the days are evil. And then it'll begin to build some gratitude and thankfulness in your heart when God gives you a brief reprieve from any of that. So begin to recognize the days are evil. But most of us, when we think of days being evil, we think those are obstacles to really living the Christian life. I can't really, because the days are evil, it makes it living it so hard. No, it doesn't. See, what we need to realize is evil days provide opportunities. Evil days provide opportunities, and we need to begin to learn how to build those up. Evil days create opportunities. Now, why is that? Well, we talked about it a minute ago. It's because our society has been built around valuing things that really aren't that valuable. And so what happens is there's all these things lying about that are exceptional opportunities for us to buy up. And if we have the opportunity right now when things are, are, you know, not valued correctly, to go around and just make a haul. I mean, you can just buy up and you say, well, what kind of things can we buy up? Let me tell you, I'll just tell you a few. There are, there are hundreds, but let me just tell you a few that you could do. You know, one of the things you could do, you could buy up serving opportunities. You go, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like an opportunity. It's an opportunity. See, what you do when you look at the scriptures, what you find is this, the more you serve, the more you actually are living out the very life that Jesus Christ entailed. He loved to serve. In fact, he said, the son of man did not come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And we think of that sometimes. We think, well, that was just a little while. No, that's the heart of God. I mean, when you look at Scripture, Jesus says, you know, uh, it will be good for those servants whose, whose master finds them watching when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will gird himself to serve, will have them recline at table, and will come and wait on them. And you think, really? Yeah. Why? Because that's valuable in the kingdom, serving. We get to buy up opportunities to serve. Other people are going, I'm avoiding those things like crazy. You know, Microsoft sounds like a crazy stock to buy. (laughs) You're just going, yeah, you're right. Move that way. Let me do it. You know, opportunities to serve. Opportunities for trials. You go, trials? Yeah. See, when you understand trials correctly in your life, what you understand is they build character. And God wants to develop character in you. And so you begin to look at it. and all. Now, you don't have to go seek out trials. That's masochistic, okay? I mean, I'm not talking that. They're going to come anyway. But what you need to do is when they come, the way you buy them up is you realize the opportunity to grow that God has presented for you. So like our, uh, our daughter and son-in-law, he found out uh, here um, a month or so ago that, you know, they told him this government job he had. They were switching things and moving this around that. And all of a sudden they said, Oh, and that's going to affect you. And he said, oh, okay, like, how are you seeing that? And they said, yeah, tomorrow's your last day. And he was like, oh. So, uh, you know, they suddenly had this whole thing they had to deal with. And so I uh, was talking to our daughter, said, well, what are you guys guys doing tonight? She goes, oh, we have a party. And I'm thinking, a party? I'm not sure this is the time for a party. You just, you know, found out you lost your job. I said, you know, my wife is talking with her, and I'm on the other end listening to all this stuff and talking back and forth with her on the phone, which drives my wife crazy anyway. But so I'm doing this, and so I said, what kind, of a, what kind of a party? She goes, oh, a James 1 party, you know, where James says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect and complete work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And you realize, oh, that's right. I thought... They're seeing it. They're getting it. You know, what they've realized is, what a great opportunity this is. An opportunity to grow. See, there's others too. You look at it, I mean, because of the very culture in which we live, because there's so many things people are trying to go after, they keep trying them. You know what they find out? Dead end, dead end, dead end, dead end. Now, what do you think that gives you an opportunity to do? To share with them something that's not a dead end. To share with them something that can change their life, not only for that few years they have here on earth, but for all eternity. It can kick in right here and it can go on forever. And see, we have those opportunities. So what he says is, with evil days, recognize you live in evil days. But recognize they provide opportunities that you can buy up. So you need to really buy those up. Redeem the time. Then he says, understand the will of God. Now, there's a couple of things that kind of trip us up there. Some, I think. First is, um, when we think of the term will of God, we tend to think of it in terms of guidance. Like if somebody says, you know, what do you think God's will for your life? You know, we automatically think in terms of things like uh, what you ought to do next, where you ought to live next what job you ought to have next, whom you ought to marry, or how do you decide a problem that's before you? That's how we tend to think of it. 
But what you find is guidance is not the major problem or the major factor in understanding the will of God. God is not half as interested in what you do as he is interested in who you're becoming and who you are. So we have a tendency to bring a, a version of us that is different to a lot of relationships. And you may have known one of these people. You may have been one of these people. At work, the person they know at work is one way. The person that, you know, they know at church is another way. The person the family knows is a different way. And what God says, no, 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 no. What I want you to do is I want you to be the same person. I want that to be a person who knows me, loves me, walks with me, and is following me. That's who I want you to be. And that's what God's heart is. His will for us is that we are the same person trusting him and reflecting him in all of our relationships. The second thing that trips us up sometimes when we think of God's will is we tend to be very product-oriented. God tends to be process-oriented. We tend to think of God kind of like a drive-through that we kind of pull up and say, I would like this right here. And God says, let me get that right out for you. We'll hope to have it out in under a minute. And that's how we tend to think. But what we find is that as we live life, that's not how God lives. So as we live life, we think of things like this. We say, um, you know, God, um, I'd really like to um, be refreshed by people. And God says, great. You start refreshing people. What? Yeah, you start refreshing people. What you'll find is as you start refreshing them, you'll be refreshed. And we're like, no, no. I want the product. And God says, no, no, no. It's a process. You need the process. And if we begin to see that and we begin to look at it, God doesn't deliver products like that. He delivers processes. The other thing, the other thing that trips us up in that is because of the way we think, we often think God doesn't make sense. Um, See, what God tends to do, he tends to guide us step by step. Have you ever noticed when you think of God's will, like what you think is, I want to know what life is going to be like 50 years from now and who it's going to be with and how much, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, change and do this. I want to know about it all. God says, "Mm, no, no, you can't handle that. We'll take it a step at a time. Let me show you an example right here up on the board if I can. So up here, it's, there we go. See this fine map right here? Now, if you'll see this right here, this is the great state of Oklahoma. And uh, life began there for me right there where that little red dot is. Well, I'm not sure that's exactly right, but somewhere around there, you know, where that red dot is. Now, how I tend to be, because I'm a product thinker, because that's how you are, you know, what I tend to do is I th- tend to think, now, God, show me what you want me to do. And if God would have been years ago said, okay, you know what? I'm going to develop you. I'm going to have this for you. I'm going to have this for you. I'm going to have this for you. And you're going to be right here. So next one right there, you're going to be right here in California. And I'd have been, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would have just closed up my notebook, sat right there, booked a ticket to California and thought, I'm going to get after this because this is what God has for me. God's plan, not at all. No. Now, this next one will show you more. See, this was more of God's plan. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take you down to Texas. We're going to bring you back up to Oklahoma. We're going to take you down to Texas. Then we're going to bring you over here to Chicago. Then we're going to bring you back down here to Oklahoma. Then we're going to bring you out here to California. I thought, good night. 
I mean, do you not understand efficiency? I mean, it was, it was a straight shot, God. I mean, what are you doing this for? And what God says is, you know what? See, son, you're committed to the product, but I'm committed to the process. So in order for you to be the person you need to be here, I needed to take you here and here and here and here and here and here and here so that when you got to here, you would be ready for the assignment I had for you. See, we don't understand the will of God sometimes because we think we're smarter. And the reason we think that is we're very product oriented. We're talking about the destination. God's talking about the journey. Totally different. You need to learn to think that. So you want to redeem the time. You want to understand the will of God. And then lastly, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. In verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to our God and Father. Now, why does Paul contrasting being filled with the Spirit to drinking? Well, probably partly because of the city in which he, he was addressing to the Ephesians. These guys, I mean, they would drink to their gods all day long. You know, I mean, it was just drink, 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 drink. Also, because people in this society, have you ever noticed, you know, when people, um, when people have had a rough day, what do they tend to say? Man, I could use a stiff filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, no, is that what? No. I mean, is that what they say? No, they don't say that. They say, no, I, what I need is I need a drink. Well, why do they say that? Because they feel like I need something that's going to make things better or at least make me forget about how things aren't, you know, like they are. And what he says is, no, 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 no. His point here is this. Do not be controlled by that. Be controlled by the Spirit. That's his point. Be controlled by the Spirit. He is contrasting the influence or the control in our lives and saying, this is why you want to do that. Now, let me say this. Some people really misunderstand this verse. Being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you get more of him. When you decide that, you know, you're going to uh, follow Jesus, when you decide you're going to center your life around him and make him the boss of your life, that you're going to walk with him, then God gives us the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence in our life. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is not you getting more of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. What it is, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit is the momentary receiving from him of the resources you need for the situation you are facing. The momentary receiving from him of the resources you need for the situation you're, fa you're facing. So, for instance, let's say you're dealing with some problems at work and you're trying to figure out what to do there. You know, you can say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to see things through, through, through your eyes? Would you help me, help me to do this? Um, maybe you're answering a coworker's questions. Maybe you're giving counsel to a friend. Maybe you're dealing with, you know, a need to be more patient at home. Whatever the case may be, what you find is filling is about how much of us does he have? How much of us is he controlling? So, to help us understand a little bit more, let me tell you about one 
little verb there. When he talks about be filled, you were probably thinking, you know, can I have a grammar lesson this morning real quick? Okay, I'll give you a brief one. Here's the thing. The, the word that's used there, it's a plural word. And you say, why is that significant? What he's saying is, this isn't just for a select few. This is for every single one of us that are followers of Jesus. We need to understand that. We all need to be asking for filling. Secondly, the tense is present. That means it's to be a continual or a repeated action. It's not like a one-time thing. You do it again and again and again and again. Third, the voice is passive. And that is, we are acted upon. He is the one who fills us. You say, well, wait a minute. If he fills us, then what do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, if you're wondering, how do you go about this? It's exactly what Paul said in Colossians 2.6. He said, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By grace through faith. How do you walk in him? By grace through faith. How are you filled? By grace through faith. What you do there is you simply come to God and when you're talking to him, you simply let him know, God, I need you right now to fill me. I need you to help me be controlled by you. I need you to help me see life from your vantage point. Help me see the things that I need to do. You know, would you be in control of my life? That's not like a puppet existence or something, but it's what it is. He comes in and strongly will influence all areas of your life right there as you do that. So what he says then is being filled by the spirit that it's bolstered and it's characterized by a couple of things. If you're wondering, you know, how do you know if that's happening? You know, well, part of it, you'll notice some insights, but the other part is this singing. He talks about, he says, you'll have singing and you'll have thankfulness. Now, some of you right now, you're going singing. I don't do that. I let the guys up here do that. They do it better. And that may be true. They do it better. But you need to do it. Because what you begin to find is singing is a very powerful thing. Have you ever thought about the power of songs? How many of you know songs that you wished you could forget? Yeah, yeah. Me too. I mean, I I learned a few songs in college, and I think I'd like to forget that one. And I'd like to forget that one. You know, I mean, there are songs that you know. Why? Why is that? Why do you still know them? Because the power of songs, they stick with you. That's one of the reasons that you want to take advantage of songs. They stick with you. They, they linger. That you, you keep running those over in your mind. That's one of the key reasons. If you can't believe it, don't sing it. If you look at something, you're thinking, ah, what that's saying, I can't really believe. That's not really true. Then don't sing it. Because if you start singing, it will stay with you. So you may need to go home and take a few songs off your playlist and just not have those anymore. But what you find is the power of songs, they help you express the depth of feeling that's inside a lot of times. They also help you to remember and recapture things from songs you've sung before. So that's one of the brilliances of songs themselves. That's one of the reasons, too, that we're called to get together like this and sing with one another. See, it's one thing if you're singing just by yourself there and you're singing, you know, and some people are probably grateful that, that you're singing by yourself. But, you know, when you get around others and you sing with them, one of the things as I'm standing there and all of a sudden, you know, I hear Matt singing this or I hear, you know, someone else singing this or someone else singing this. Or as I'm out there and I hear, you know, uh, you know Enoch singing this or, you know, uh, uh, John singing this or something. I, as I'm doing that, it reminds me of something 
We're in this together. You know what? We're, we're in this together, and together we walk with Christ. Together he uses us. Together he, he will really move us forward. So singing. Singing is one of the things. Thankfulness. He says, as you're filled with the Spirit, as you're practicing living under the control of the Spirit, one of the things that's going to be true in your life, just like we looked a minute ago when you realize it's evil days, one of the things that's going to be true in your life is more and more you're going to develop an attitude of thankfulness. If you look in Luke 17, Jesus tells a story about 10 lepers that he heals. And how many come back and thank him? Yeah, uno, one. Now, I guarantee you, these guys had been the outcast of society. They could not even come near people without yelling things like leper, leper, so people could stay away from them. So, I mean, they had no friends. They had, you know, no life. Jesus heals them and gives them a total difference. And the difference that's made is now all of a sudden they can experience life. And yet one of them came back thankful. They had to obviously have faith to be healed. So, I mean, you look at that right there. Faith is more common than thankfulness sometimes. They weren't, thank- I mean, nine of them, they didn't even bother to come back and say thanks. See, what God wants to do is the more and more he's in control of our life, we'll develop a life of not only, you know, um, just song within, but we'll develop a life of thankfulness. So careful living. I think a lot of times we think, is careful living just kind of boring? No, not at all. The more you live this way, the more that you find is you have this intoxicatingly joyful life of song, of thanksgiving, and of really great relationships. But you've got to begin to live it out. So how do you do that? Just what we've looked at today. Pay attention to your personal walk. Put off the old, put on the new. Remember the big picture. Imitate your father. Live a life of love and purity. Walk in a wise way. In other words, redeem the time. Expect evil days. Buy up the opportunities that they create. Understand the will of God. He's more concerned with who we're becoming than with uh, where we're going, what we're doing. He's a process thinker. And then be filled with the Spirit, the momentary receiving from Him of the resources you need for any situation you're you're facing. So for next steps today, let me quickly give you two. Um, I I think it'd be good if you begin to think about what do you need to begin to address right now? And then secondly, who are you going to seek help from in order to do that? Who are you going to partner up with in order to do that? So let me pray for us and we'll invite the band back up. Father, would you help us to be wise enough to take what you've said in your word and put it into practice to actually begin to, uh, to live out um, the wisdom of redeeming our time, understanding your will, and then being filled with your spirit. Would you help us to do that, Father? And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.